Welcome to the Whole Self Podcast, where we talk about various mental health topics with an emphasis on the body, mind, and spirit connection. Our goal is to empower our listeners with the knowledge and tools needed to embark on their own healing journey. A gentle reminder that this podcast is not a substitute for therapy, and we encourage you to seek out your own therapy if needed. Hi, welcome to the Whole Self Podcast. I'm Sharon Wegman. And I'm Mandy. And today we're going to be talking about pop psychology. What a fun word. Pop psychology. Sounds fun. It does sound like popcorn. And I think that's why the funness attracts people. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) On Instagram and on all the other social media platforms and it's we're going to be talking about that today. Yeah, so Sharon, what what is what is pop psychology? I'm going to say it's an umbrella term that covers over psychological ideology, therapies, techniques that have gained popularity through blog posts, TV shows, social media. Um, we see that a lot with people going on TikTok right now. Mm-hmm. And So pop psychology has really taken over a lot of social media, and it's much more uh, present than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, and I feel like the first example of this, if this counts as pop psychology, when it's actually when I think I started working here in The Bachelor, or it was The Bachelor, I can't remember which season, but they had one of the episodes gaslighting came up do you remember that and and gaslighting suddenly was all over social media yes and then the bachelor was dating someone and he was talking about inner child work oh yes and we were all like oh right (laughs) so right but these are these term and terms like gaslighting inner child work they are terms that can be pop psychology If people don't know what they're doing with it. Yeah. So like if someone takes that idea and puts it on Instagram and runs with it and they might not necessarily have the education or qualifications to be talking about gaslighting. Yes. Cool. Right. So you can do research on it, um, but it's 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 it draws people to it because people are naming something inside of themselves mm-hmm. or an experience and suddenly they're like wow that's great um so it has seeds of truth but it's not usually the whole picture of mm-hmm. what getting better looks like yeah and it's it's often characterized by emphasis on the person's feelings and current trends which is why i think people are so drawn to it because yes. they're like oh i've i've felt that before let's dive into that and see what that's about right so let's talk about the difference between like pop psychology and evidence-based practices and like coaches versus counselors yeah that's a big topic because I have friends who are coaches and I have Mm. clients that are coaches and so I can see that there are amazing coaches out there Mm -hmm. and I can see a lot of them also doing things they should be touching because they don't have they're not using evidence-based practices they're not using um training under people who recognize what that looks like, Mm, how mm -hmm. to handle it, um, which is why in the counseling field, there is a wide difference in how a coach is trained versus how a counselor is vetted. Yeah. It's big. Yeah. Because I think coaching has really blown up in the last, I mean, several years, like self-help has always been kind of a trend. Sure. And then I think with, you know, strides being made in the internet and things like that, coaching is is a field that has kind of blown up and it's not as regulated as like the counseling field. Cause in the counseling field, like you have to get a master's degree, you have to pass 
certain amounts of tests. You get specific training, like accredited programs and stuff. Um, and I thought I read an interesting article on LinkedIn about the unseen dangers of unqualified coaching by Rene Rodriguez. And there's a quote where he says, um, it's easy for anyone to label themselves as a coach and begin offering services. Unlike regulated professions such as medicine or law, the coaching field lacks a governing body that mandates certifications or licenses. So I think what you're saying, Sharon, is like there can be great coaches. Yeah. And then there can also be some not so great ones because it's a really unregulated field. It is. I'm going to use an example. Um, I have a second business that is a coaching business, Mm -hmm. but it's to help um, nonprofits become um, trauma informed in the care of people. Mm -hmm. And I'm taking all my knowledge, all my experience. And I'm just, I just created a program based on things that are proven Mm -hmm. things that are actually scientifically proven. Um, And so what was concerning to me is I've then interacted with some coaches who are saying, when you say this in your program, what does that mean? And I'm like, wait, you are coaching people on trauma and you don't understand what I just said? That's super scary to me. So that's the difference between coaches and counselors. We have to go through 3,600 hours of supervision. Yeah. We have to do so many sessions in which we're under supervision. We're applying evidence-based practices and nothing else. Yeah. To how we treat people. So that's the difference. Yeah. And I think another difference, too, is like counselors are bound by a code of ethics And I know like with you creating your program, you had to really separate like the counseling and psychological part into like education about trauma rather than counseling through trauma. Right. And I think we have seen that there's some coaching programs or coaches that don't do that. So technically, they're kind of doing some very unethical things with their programs. Exactly. So in mine, I'm just I'm training people to be have better practices. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing any of the counseling yeah. for these individuals. And yet over here I have a coaching I have a counseling practice mm-hmm. and that counseling practice I have very specific ethics. So I had to very clearly separate it. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between coaches and counselors. Yeah. There's just a lot of blending. Mm-hmm of how things are done and there's no real ethics tied to it. Yes. And that's why it's great for you because you have all that training and you have that code of ethics. So you know how to separate the counseling from the coaching and have those two separate entities and have them both be helpful in their own ways. Right. Um, And so let's kind of talk about how this all started. (laughs) How did pop psych, and I'm going to say Freud, Freud came up with some theories, right, that were not evidence-based, but he Mm. was trying to label the behaviors and things that he saw in the people who came through his practice. Yeah. And everybody jumped in and said, wow. Yeah, because I'm sure, like, it felt true for some people. Sure. But his theory is, like, because when we're saying evidence-based, like, evidence-based practices – their research-based treatments that have been rigorously tested in randomized controlled trials or a series of case studies and then have been proven to have effective outcomes. Meanwhile, um, Freud and his theories, like a theory is like, hmm, I think this, I may not, might not have tested it, but, you know, this is the theory that I'm putting out there um, with no real, you know, evidence to back it up. Yeah, so while he's named the father of psychology... <laughs> 
in a lot of ways, he actually had theories that promoted other people doing research. Mm -hmm. And further down the line, we were able to say, okay, there might be some kind of complex between sons and mothers, and this is what it can create. But what Freud was theorizing wasn't necessarily evidence-based. Gotcha. So he kind of got, like, the ball rolling. Right. To do, like, have people do research surrounding what he was saying. Right. And then there was um, self-help books that came out. So in the 80s, it came out as um, a book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. Just everybody's okay. Nobody's (laughs) weird. Nobody has any problems. Um, that was the self-help book that, of course, everybody would be attracted to. Yeah. In the 80s. I want to read that. <laughs> right. And then in the in the 90s, it was men are from Mars, women are from Venus, trying mm. to help dis- separate out what is the difference between men and women. But he used a whole thing to kind of explain it. And, and people were attracted to mm-hmm. it. And some of it was evidence-based, but a lot of it was more self-help. It, yeah. It was more pop psychology. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of wanting to read that self-help book, what makes pop psychology so appealing? I, I really know that I know that it's it's the bypass. Everyone wants that quick healing, that easy mm. answer, right? What? That doesn't sound like American <laughs> culture at all. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, we, we got that Western medical model, like, here's the symptom, here's the pill. And it never actually addresses the root problem, which we're seeing more and more people go to more functional medicine, which is truly addressing the root of the problem instead of applying a pill to a situation, which creates another problem, which creates another pill. And I think what what's attractive to pop psychology is it's a bypass. Everybody Mm. wants the quick and easy healing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think because I do this with like journals or like guided journals and even Brene Brown books. Like I'm in Barnes and Noble and I'm like, you know, could this solve all my problems for $18.99? I'm going to try it. <laughs> right. So yeah, I think that makes sense because like you're saying with our like our last episode on chronic illness um, where we talked about yes. the body being a whole system and how in Western medicine, you know, like we're set up with specialists that look at different parts of the body, which is really good and very helpful. Yeah. But in certain cases, like it's it's very helpful to look at the whole picture. And often the whole picture involves, you know, patience and time and treating the body as a whole system. So it's not a quick fix, which is not what we like. There is, there is. And I wish we could come up with quick fixes. Oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> but we know that we know after studying the body, mm-hmm. after studying the brain, that healing is a process. Yeah. And when people bypass the grief process using positivity and no negativity, and mm. I'm just going to move on and we're not going to deal with the past, it's in your body. Yeah. And there's other problems that develop. And I, and I watch that all the time as a therapist because I see, okay, parent, you have not dealt with your trauma and that's coming out in how you're handling mm. your child. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Or you have not dealt with your grief and you now have cancer a year later. Yeah. Um, It's in your body. So there's not bypasses to the grieving process. There's not bypasses to the healing process. Yeah. But we want it. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We very much do. Yeah. So it, it sounds like pop psychology can kind of trick us into thinking we found a bypass and it might even work in the short term. Sure. But when it comes to long term and like true foundational healing, it's not necessarily the answer. 
Right. There's a lot of people who who espouse these quick, easy things and will get their clients later. (laughs) (laughs) So job security? (laughs) Right. Because it it didn't, it wasn't that easy. Whatever they were trying to apply. I'm just going to use like Reiki as an example. Mm. Don't, Don't send me your emails if you don't, if you're like a Reiki fan. I'm not saying that body work isn't helpful. It really is. Mm-hmm. But we don't have evidence that says long term it changes trauma. Yeah. And that's our issue. Yeah. And I think like we talked about how so these self-help help. I always want to say self-help. <laughs> self-help books, how they were, you know, gaining popularity in the 80s and 90s. So why why is it more prevalent now? than it was when, you know, these self-help books were becoming popular. Oh, I mean, you can just see 90 seconds of somebody talking about narcissism and suddenly you're like, oh, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) I've diagnosed myself and or someone in my life. Right. And so you see that on TikTok. It's just easy access, so much easier access to information. Yeah. But not all information is evidence-based. Yeah. And I feel like the amount of time we spend on social media and the amount of platforms and the amount of different ways we can consume content on each platform, like there's posts or there's articles or there's videos, like there's a lot of ways that we can spread information now. It's overwhelming. I get a little anxious when we talk about it because I I feel it happening in our society. And I Mm. see the people who come into our practice who've just diagnosed themselves, particularly if they're between the ages of 18 and 22. Interesting. (laughs) If they have diagnosed themselves via um, social media with something and we're like, no, no, no. Yeah. But they have convinced themselves because they can access all this information and suddenly they think this is what I am. Yeah. And I think, too, with social media, like anyone can use social media and anyone can buy a podcast mic. So we kind of are risking with social media. Like if I go on and I see a video where someone's talking about. I don't know, mother wounds or talking about, you know, parentified children. And I like what they're saying. I might not do my research and look into this person and see like, what are their qualifications? What training do they have in this area? I might just go on and follow them and share what they said because it, that, you know, 60 second reel resonated with me. But then we kind of have this danger of building up and popularizing people who might not have the training needed to really do justice for whatever subject they're teaching about yes we could name them but we don't want yep, to no. be <laughs> yeah and I, I think it's so easy to see like scrolling through facebook there's different groups started or there's different ads going around because you know anyone can pay for an ad and if you you know developed a program and maybe it's not evidence-based or uh you're not qualified really to be teaching about that stuff, you can still get your program out there or whatever product you're selling. You really can. Yeah. It's it's overwhelming to me when I watch it. And I think what we talk about in here is anything that only addresses a, a portion of the body, soul, spirit mm. mm-hmm. is not going to be the totality. Yeah. If it's spiritual and it's only this and we're talking about trauma, it's only one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. If it's body work and that alone, only one piece of the puzzle. 
So we see a lot of programs out there that are only addressing a little piece of it and espousing themselves to be the totality of what's going to fix this situation. Yeah, that's I that makes me think of um, something I tried. It was like a free challenge where the people after wanted you to enroll in their program that like you had to pay for. But it was about healing um, like uh chronic illness and healing like gastrointestinal issues but it was only like the spiritual piece so it was all about changing your thoughts and rewiring your brain but it didn't really cover the other two pieces the body or the soul or like the mental health aspect exactly and so when we really look at the person is a whole person then programs really need to be addressing all Mm. three areas yeah in order for that person to really receive total healing. Yeah. So um, there's just a lot of quick fixes out there, a mm-hmm. lot of free classes. Yes. And they're, they're bait. I understand yeah. it because I've been trained to do it yeah. coaching. They're bait to get you to do their program, but you really need to do your background check on individuals. Yes. Why is this person an expert? What are, what is the that enables them to be that person. Yeah. And and you can think of it as just like being a good steward of your own care and of your own finances of like, if you see a program or something pop up that you're interested in, like think about, hmm, like, does this person have what I need for me to feel safe investing my time, investing my money, investing my health in it? You know, you're not being critical by looking into someone and questioning their training or their background. You're just kind of protecting yourself and your body. Yeah, exactly. And that's really important in all healing is Mm -hmm. safety. Yes, that's so true. Okay, so let's talk about takeaways. Um, Do the research on the person, which you just said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Is what they're doing evidence-based? Consult studies or peer-reviewed journals. Yeah, because like if their training or their program is making a claim, do your research on, you know, what is the science behind this claim? Or what are like experts in the field saying about this claim? Is this something that's truthful? Is this something worth investing in um, and going from there? Um, Yeah, use discernment. I mean, I'm a therapist, so I'm probably like always like feeling how things feel to me mm-hmm. right and it, it's interesting like I, I did when I had to build my own coaching program to help ministries and 501c3s the first thing I was doing when I was sitting there with this man telling me is how does it make me feel yeah do I feel safe will I feel heard and yes I did initially (laughs) and then it shifted so you know that that's the feel that we need to have that's part of our discernment is how does it make us feel Mm -hmm. ask questions do the research on that person yeah and trust your gut too absolutely you know as we said in our last podcast episode the gut (laughs) is the second brain of the body yeah so it will yeah um and then this is my favorite part that we've talked about I mean, we've talked about this in generally all areas of life, but if it looks too easy, it is. And if it looks too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. It it really is. Anything worth having requires work. Yeah. Whether it comes to money, relationships, health, Mm -hmm. all of those things, even spirituality. 
Yeah. All of those things can require discipline mm-hmm. and work. And so it's not easy. Nothing is easy. No. Yeah. And that's very true. So for eating. <laughs> for some of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me, my husband would say this when we were renovating our it's part of our um, house, and he would always say, good, fast, and easy. You can have two, but you can't have all three. There you go. That's so, good. I like that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So our next episode, we're going to – we're kind of splitting this pop psychology into two because it is such a big subject, and if we wanted to talk about specific types of pop psychology, we'd be here for forever. So our next episode is going to be around specific topics um, of pop psychology that we see impacting um, different people that come to our office. Oh, yeah. 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 So a little preview. We've got self-diagnosis. Narcissism. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, what is trauma? Is is trauma every unpleasant experience? No, no, no. Having needs doesn't make you codependent. Yeah. <laughs> Being it, nice doesn't make you codependent. Um, and like disagreeing or differing opinions or asking questions is not always gaslighting. And it's not toxicity. Yeah. And it's not negativity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, conflict is not abuse. We're allowed to have different opinions. We're allowed to have different thoughts and it help can help us grow. Yeah. Yeah. And being triggered, you know, just because I'm offended or because I feel a negative feeling doesn't mean I'm necessarily having a trauma response. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's so popular right now. It's it's wild. It is. It is. I almost like hear it every day, whether it's on social media or in my everyday life is the word triggered and or someone saying like, oh, I'm having a trauma response. Yeah, so. I, I just a funny story. I was driving recently with a, a kid in my car and they're like, oh, this road, it brings me trauma. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, even children kind of have that. And I don't know if it's because they hang around with me, but it was like, it was just funny because I'm like, no, that's not trauma. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think there there are positives. Like I think one of the good sides of pop psychology is that it's you know, spreading awareness about some mental health topics. But then the flip side is that it's spreading misinformation about mental health topics. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. And um, also as a takeaway, like we're not we're not blasting the coaching industry. We're Absolutely not because not. I mean, we're literally talking to someone, a.k.a. Sharon, who ha- <laughs> is a, both a coach and a counselor. So um, overall, just the importance when we, it comes to pop psychology, when it comes to coaching is, you know, discerning between who is qualified to talk about what and where. Mm-hmm. Right. So. And, and you just need to do your, do your investigation, do your discernment. Yeah. Tied to it. Yeah. Yeah. There so. are a lot of excellent coaches out there that have applied ethics to how they coach. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot that haven't. Yeah. In the wild world of, or the wild west of coaching. Wild west. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. If today's episode was helpful to you, give us a follow and a five-star rating. And for more, um, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Whole Self Therapists. Yay. See you later. Thank you so much for listening. Any resources or links from today's episode can be found in our show notes. Original music in this episode is by Christopher Burkholder.